I would say, you know, in terms of the difficulty of managing my time with work and that, I'd say it was, you know, maybe comparable to student work. You know, there you, you have to learn to say no to a lot of things yes. when you're that efficient, that, um, that discipline in your time management. And I, I had to say no to a, a lot of things that uh, I would have liked to yes to, you know, events with family, friends, and call colleagues as well right um but you keep that end goal in mind and you know that was passing these these set of three exams so sort of you know using this this, this skills from student works of time management and the goal setting was really helpful while doing that welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders, really excited. We've got Matt Eidinger. One of the things I like to do is I like to bring, you know, our, our, uh, a lot of times our, our district managers, our operators who are really in the program right now and learn lessons from them. I like to bring our, you know, super, super, you know, a lot of times older, most successful alumni because, wow, look at that. They're running these huge businesses or they're really involved this way as leaders. And Matt is someone who's, you know, was involved with this 2013 to 2014, so seven, eight years. And it's just incredible the progress he's made in his career. Incredible. He was, his company recruited him uh, out of LinkedIn um, because of the, the, the brand that he operated. And then he's, what he's decided to do around school, how his business has progressed. I thought we'd have fan, fantastic conversation, you know, for what's my life going to be like? What, what sort of decisions do I need to make around? Do I go back to master's? Do I go, go, to, go to school? What, what should my career path be? So I know you're going to love this podcast. Just love Matt and all that he's bringing and with all the, all the time he's working to make time for our leaders. I'm so appreciative. Thanks so much, everyone. And again, you know what we're up to is finding young leaders. So please uh, send anyone my way to studentworks.com or you can send me an email, cthompson at studentworks.com. Or you could also send them this podcast. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic day. Well, Matt, welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thank you for having me, Chris. Good to be here. Yeah, I know it's it's awesome. I know you've got a really really busy career, which we'll dig into more of, and and you've been really up to stuff. So uh, so I know it's been tough to sort of get this to fit around your schedule. So so why don't we start? You know, again back back as a uh, you know, pre-university, you know, who, who was Matt, what were you up to, any frustrations that you were having, et cetera? Yeah, so I, um, pre-university, and I, I started student works in the first year, so I sort of started recruiting into it right away in the first semester at McGill. I was, I was very interested in academics up until then, mm -hmm. and I, I always... I often got sort of lost in the ideas in my head, you know, thinking about things I've read in books and learned about in, in, in school and just being an, an introvert naturally. And I still am to a certain extent. Um, you know, I always felt that I had these great ideas, but didn't really have the, the skill set to uh, properly execute them, sort of make, you know, turn a dream, a vision, a goal into, you know, a reality. I didn't have the action plan, the toolkit to to get there. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so why don't you, you know, how how was your experience uh, with 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 student works? You know, what did you get out of the the experience? I'd say there's a couple of really big things. I came into the program not so much like many others, looking to you know be an entrepreneur specifically, and you know, I was. Like I said, we're looking for like general skill sets, transferable skills that I could take anywhere, whether it was in an entrepreneurial direction, running a business, or at, at the time I wanted to be a lawyer. So I was looking for, you know, a skill set that might be useful there. Right. And I felt that there was a, a, a good set of tools um, 
in the program, public speaking, sales, of course, time management, um, deal, dealing with customers, produ- you know, production management, that they could be gained from participating. And um, an interesting story actually in, involving you is that the, the first year training, I remember, you know, there's where the, the golf course, I think it was in Ottawa. Right. And, you know, you had asked a question on, on the last day, I think, of the, tr- the weekend training saying, who, who in this room, raise your hand if, if you want to be a salesperson for your whole life. And, you know, to be fair, you know, there, there wasn't as many people as I had thought being in that room yeah. that raised their hands. And they said, okay, so question two, can you guys name for me some of the most influential or successful people in the world? And people started, I just, just shouted out. So everyone started, you know, shouting out Barack Obama, Steve Jobs, maybe not, you know, people that are high up in business, exactly. politics, that sort of thing. And then your third question was, okay, who, who wants to be like those people? And then everyone raised their hand. And she said, well, so why didn't you guys all raise your hands when I asked the first question? Because those guys are all salespeople. They're not selling a product, all of them. You know, Barack Obama is not selling a product. He's a, a, at the time, the president of the United States. He's selling, you know, his his ideas or policy. And so it's not not just a, you know, salespeople sell, you know, a car, a piece of software, you know, selling ideas, selling yourself in any interaction. And so then that, that sort of, you know, lined up perfectly with what I wanted to get out of the program, general transferable skills. Yeah. Well, and it, in it, that, that list of questions, and that's a, that's something that I, I do every year. Um, and I just so believe that there's a, a missing understanding of how important influence skills are in the world, you know, and the reason is by the way, as well as people actually cloak what they're doing, right? They don't call themselves top salesperson. They call themselves president or CEO or vice president or uh, business development officer, all sorts of different things that cloak that, hey, the, the, you know, uh, if you're a consultant, eventually you do really well. And then maybe you're leading some other consultants, but then eventually it's like build your own book of business. And, and if you look in industry after industry of an industry, that's what happens. That's what partners do, quote unquote, partners, yeah. partners. So, so it's, it's really um, a way to make sure people sort of see that. But one thing that pops up for me, Matt, and, and, you know, I know you're, you're an introvert. And, and so certainly I think a lot of times this business attracts more extroverts and every year we get really, really powerful introverts joining our program. So do you have any tips or, or or any suggestions for introverts coming into the program about, you know, again, how to, how to see the, you know, the sales role or, or a lot of this role, which is quite extroverted, because obviously you are a real top performer on our program. Yeah. So um, an interesting uh, memory from one of the other trainings, uh, I think it was Roy Fitzpatrick said, you know, you come into this program with, you know, everyone has their own comfort zone and it's sort of like a bubble and, by doing the things that you're you're trained to do and taught to do at student works, you sort of like push a bit of air into that bubble. But you know, you don't want to push in too much all at once, or else the bubble will blow up, you know, pop. So you you, you know you, you do it bit by bit, and you do that by intentionally venturing outside of your comfort zone. Right. And uh, you know, there, there's so many things in in student works that you know uh, that I did and that I imagine others do that's outside their comfort zone. I don't think anyone, you know, full, as introverted or extroverted, as confident as you might be, it's really an experience, a program where you you go in and you know you're you're not not going to be a master right away. You're going to have to push yourself beyond boundaries that you you oftentimes set for yourself and that's part of the process. So I'd say for, you know, for introverts, like I, I found it was helpful to just, you know, just do what student works with the, what my district manager, which you had, you know, trained us to do right. for various training sessions and be expect, you know, expect to fail at least a bit before you're successful because that's the process of, uh, that's part of the process of training yourself to, you know, push past those boundaries that are oftentimes mental and 
you know, grow your comfort zone really to now encompass those those tasks, those challenges that uh, you know you originally thought perhaps impossible or very tough or you'd never do. But it's, it's sort of bit by bit recognizing you're going to fail and just trying again until you succeed and following the systems. And following the systems, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you still rely on from the program, Matt? I'd say there's three or four things. Number one, and this is getting key for anything is time management. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I frequently have a hard copy of it my schedule, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, I do use a digital calendar as well, but I, I, I've gotten to the habit of writing everything down by hand in a weekly planner when I was at Studentworks and I still do that to this day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just realizing that you can't do everything in a given week. Yes. So I, I regularly do, um, 168 hour exercise whenever I'm, you know, you know there's, there's a change in my life, you know, starting a new job, you know, going back to school now, part-time, um, just to, you know, put into perspective, okay, 168 hours, you subtract everything that you know you have to do, like sleep, work, yeah. eat, that sort of thing, and then fill in the rest with um, other things you need to do and the things you, you know, want to do eventually as well so and it, it i think it, it's really effective it's been really effective for me putting everything down on paper really helps to put things into perspective and uh you know, keep you on track for your goals whether it's you know day to day week to week month to month you have to start with you know actionable items today from day to day and then getting it on paper in front of you so that you see it been very helpful for me that's one big thing. Um, a second thing is um, goal setting. Set like I had just said, setting regular goals, whether it's long term, medium term, short term. You know, I have daily goals, weekly, monthly, and um, you know, longer than that. You know, a year, two years, several years out, and um, you know, recognizing that uh, it's it's often. A long, a big long-term goal can be very intimidating if you look at it on its own. Right. Sort of, if you had told me two years ago um, that I'd be going to London Business School, that would seem like something very challenging, and you know I might not have uh, you know, started working towards that. But if you work backwards, okay, what you know, what are the requirements to get into a place like that? How do I, how do I get? That? You break it up into smaller goals that you can uh, work on each day such as, you know, preparing for tests, exams, GMATs, um, writing your essays, learning about the school, looking at, you know, other app- successful applicants, uh, for example, and uh, working backwards, backward in what you can do, sort of as many goals to accomplish a bigger goal is very helpful. Yeah? So an, an example from student works um, where I, I guess learned to do this originally was my just before I started my my veteran year, my second year. I had set a goal of 100k for um, for sales. You know, I wanted to be the 100k club, right. as it was called at the time. So like Mexico 100k club, right? And so I sat down with my DM and we built an Excel spreadsheet with that as the end goal, 100k by you know end end of August or whatever it was in terms of time frame and sort of work backward. Okay. So how much work do you have to produce per week to get there? How much work do you have to book from January until August to get there? How many, how many estimates does that mean you have to do? How many leads do you have to generate to get there? And uh, I find it a hundred K seemed like it was it was very intimidating for me yes. at first but setting it up like as a chain of smaller goals if you will made it much more easy to visualize and uh, work towards in my mind and I, I hit that goal in the end absolutely and, and and then it's achievable so you know those are just such great long-term skills right and you know to me i think one of the big reasons why our operators have had such successful careers is you know at 18 19 20 they're working on these 
you know, really big skills that a, that a lot of times and mindsets that a lot of times people aren't really, you know, getting in a big way until people are approaching their late twenties and thirties, you know, for many people. So, yeah. Yeah. If I, if I could just touch on that a bit more in a, in a general sense, I think student works, I think student works is sort of like a, a flight simulator for many parts of the real world. You know, you're sort of, you're thrown into doing so many things that, you know, my, my, my peers perhaps haven't done or will, or will not do for many years. You're thrown into doing all these things from, you know, sales, marketing, hiring people, interviewing at such a young age when, you know, oftentimes other, other people, your peers are focused on different, uh, have different priorities. And it really helps you to, to grow as a, you know, not just an, uh, an entrepreneur, but just a, as a person in general. So like a, a flight simulator is you sort of do everything all real, real fast. It goes by quickly. You learn a lot and you come out changed. I love that analogy. And then, and then guess what? The next summer you get to do it again. And that's what you did. You just get to do yeah. it again. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it's a different experience and you learn more and you grow more and, and it's really self-contained, you know, so, so there's so much less risk compared to running a real business and the investment that would be, I shouldn't say a real business that discounts it, but, but just a large full-time business when you're going out and you're trying to start something full-time once you're out of school or in your thirties or forties, you know, a lot more money involved, you know, you, you, typically almost all of our students are living at home, you know, and, and so it's versus, Hey, I'm on my own. I'm paying for my, my, uh, my, my life sometimes as well. You know, people, when they start businesses, have families, and children, et cetera. So yeah, it's a real, it, I like that flight simulator strategy <laughs> or, or concept. Yeah. So, so tell me about your, your career progress and, um, you know, what you did post uh, student works. After, so I, I completed uh, I did my two years of student works 2012 and 2013, and then I um, I sort of focused a bit more on the student association that I was involved with at McGill. So I, I didn't come back for a third year, which would have been 2014. Right. Um, I graduated in 2015 uh, from McGill, and I I did I didn't study business or. Um, Know, marketing or finance at the time, so I say history and political science, um, which is, you know, as you're, as you're, I guess, the typical political science, you know, liberal arts history student that I was. I thought, okay, maybe the next of the, the next thing for me is going to law school. So I went to law school, um, and so and I, I was admitted, and you know. For, for August 2016 is when I would have started. And, you know, the acceptances start rolling in late the prior year, so late 2015. And right. to, I guess initially to fill the time, I said, okay, I'm going to find a job and you know get some work experience. And it turns out I found this, this great company, Cambridge. Actually, can I do this? Before you jump to Cambridge, Tell us yeah. about, you know, you were the president of the McGill Political Science Student Association. So that's a big job, right? Um, yeah. There's a bunch that you did, 1,800 political science students. So so tell us what you got out of doing that. Because I know there's there's a bunch of leaders here. And a lot of times that type of thing attracts them. I know I, I was a student leader when I was in university and took on some serious student, you know, uh, roles uh at the university of toronto and i got a lot out of it so what did you get out of that what, what did you see etc there's a couple of years that you spent doing that i guess for, for each of my um three or three and a half years at the university i did something uh, with that student association um in the first year i was the, you know a simple first year representative really learning about how the, you know the, the president and the vice presidents you know run the around the thing how student government works right and uh, a lot of, I guess, groundwork, legwork, class announcements, helping out at uh, some of their events. Right. Uh, and then towards the end of my first year, I was encouraged to run for one of the VP positions. I ended up taking on the, so I, I, it, it was like a full election campaign right. for these positions at McGill, um, which unfortunately they don't have very high turnout, but the people that turn out uh, are, are very committed. So some, you know, McGill is very known for uh, very, um, 
intense student politics, at least from when I was there. Right. So, so I went through a, an election campaign and I was fortunate enough to have won. And uh, so for my second year, I was on student council in the Arts Undergraduate Society uh, as the, the representative for, the, for all political science students. And um, you know, it's a great experience. Um, there's, there's definitely some some similarities. You know, you're you're you know, just student works. You're you're in a leadership position. There's you know, students that are relying on you for anything from general information about how to do well in uh, you know the program. You know, we set up workshops you know, to help students study. For example, we set up uh, more. I guess social events as well, right? Like trips to Ottawa and graduation balls, you know, wine and cheese of professors. I guess a bit more academic. Um, and there's the whole student government part, where you know you're you're dealing with a, a legislature of students, essentially, right? And uh, you know, it, it, and it all is you know stuff that I was able to do after doing student works. Um, you know, having picked up some of the skills there, like time management, because it was, you know, a big time commitment in second and third year when I was vice president and then president of the student association. You have to balance all this student politics stuff around school yeah. and this in my second year around, you know, my which was my veteran year of student works in the winter onwards. So, you know, this the skills that were picked up as student works are sort of, you know, were shortened, if you will, and used very frequently uh, while at the student association. So the second year, I was really very focused on the student government part. I was the representative for all these students. And then the third year, um, I became the president. I ran you know, another election and won for uh, the presidency. And um, that was, I guess, a bit more of a leadership uh, position right. compared to the VP role. Not that it's you know, hierarchical necessarily. I think the, the president role that that I wanted to take on was really like the, the glue that holds, you know, the rest of the executive team together, if you will, as opposed to, you know, a boss or a commander right. that's sort of, you know, ordering all the VPs and, uh, you know, representatives around to, you know, do this and do that. And, you know, there were, there were a lot of challenges I think, in, in my particular year as president, but, um, you know, I think we were very successful. I, I enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I was forced to use the, the, the skills from student works in, in a bit of a, a different way during that that presidency year. Right. And, um, you know, at the end of the year, we were awarded the Departmental Association of the Year Award for, which is, is awarded based on the, the Student Association, poli-sci, sociology, History, economics, et cetera, that performs, you know, they puts on the best year of events and initiatives for their students. Awesome. So it, it was a success, I guess, in the end. Yeah. And very, very enjoyable. Well, that's great. No, I thought, I thought it was worthwhile just, you know, hearing, hearing about someone's perspective, experience, et cetera. So why don't we jump to, you know, you 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 found Cambridge and uh, global payments. Why don't you talk 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 to us about that? Yeah. So um, after uh, getting acceptances from law school, I decided I'll find a job in Montreal. Mm -hmm. to, uh, at the time, I thought it would just be to fill the time right between you know getting acceptances and beginning school. Right. And you know, it it just so happened that a, a talent agency reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, I saw your profile. You worked at." Student works. We're like we're very familiar with, you know, what kind of uh, work, what kind of um, individuals participate yeah. in student work. And, uh, can we do a quick call? Of, you know, I want to talk to you about a job opportunity. Yeah. And so I took it. You know, did an interview with them, and then two more with Cambridge, and was hired as a, as an entry level associate doing mostly outbound business development, sales, cold calls to the business to generate new. Um, new client accounts, if you will. And um, I I liked it. Um, saw a lot of potential for growth. Um, I liked the people I was working with. And so I, and I said, you know, screw law school. I'm going to work here. I think there's enough potential for growth that, you know, I'll stick around and become Cambridge. Might not be hiring in, you know, a year or two, but you know, schools accept new students every fall. So 
I like it right now. If you know, in the year I don't like it, I can just apply again to yes. it again. Which I, I didn't. I stuck around a lot longer, and I'm still there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But 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 you uh, you enjoyed it. So why don't why don't we step back, explain what Cambridge does, um, and then I know you've had a few different roles. I know you'll walk us through that. But why don't you explain what Cambridge does? Sure. So Cambridge uh, Global Payments, as it's called, is um, sort of like a, a boutique foreign exchange broker. So what that means is we we deal with a lot of companies that have currency exposure. And what that means is you know, they, they have, let's say they have products that they sell in Canada and they receive Canadian dollars for that. Mm-hmm. But they purchase their goods, you know, the, the cost of goods sold for these products in Europe. So we help them make those payments to suppliers in Europe in different currencies. And we do the actual trading for them, the conversion, if you will one currency to another it's become also you know a bit of a technology focused company in recent years and especially now with covid you know everyone wants to you know have access to something digital yeah days. right um, in, in addition to you know maintaining service with you know, their account manager or clients technology platforms which you know us uh, and banks and competitors are are offering so at its at its core, so what that means what it means um, to be a currency broker is let's say you Chris you um, you run a clothing company in Canada you sell to um, you, know, you, have, you have a clothing store your customers come in they buy you know fancy Italian uh, jeans and leather shoes right they pay you here in Toronto in Canadian dollars but your product those fancy Italian leather shoes and jeans you buy them in Italy. Mm-hmm. And your factory, your supplier in Italy, they want euros. They right. don't want Canadian dollars. So you have a situation where your revenue is in one currency, but your costs are another. Depending on you know the kind of business, you may just uh, and it, and the exchange rates fluctuate every day, really. Yes. From second to second, and you know over longer periods, they vary quite substantially at times. So. Especially in the past year with COVID hitting, you know, other financial markets, including currencies, had wild swings from day to day. So you have your currency risk. So we we help clients deal with that split. It could just be you know, the, the client says, "I'll you know I'll, I'll pay a bit more today when the exchange rate is higher. I'll, they'll just buy it the daily rate that we call the spot rate. Right. Some days it'll be higher. Some days it'll be lower." And they figure over the course of their, you know, twenty or thirty year time frame running their business, it'll it'll even out, and it won't make much of a difference. We also have a suite of products that we offer to help clients hedge that sort of risk. And it's important to like to make a distinction between hedging, which is what we do. Hedging means to help companies manage risk, in our case, currency risk, yes, and speculating, yes, speculating. You know, you're taking a view on uh, the direction of, let's say, an exchange rate or a stock rate. You might say, I think if the U.S. dollar is at 120 against the euro, I'm going to buy it today because I, I think it'll be at 130 in a couple of months. Right. Sell it. That's speculating. We don't do that. We do hedging. So it's companies that need to pay an invoice in a currency they're buying. Right. And they want to protect against the risk of that changing. Exactly. Um, so we're we offer you know, a number of different products to, to help them manage that sort of risk if they you know don't want to assume. Um, this, the simplest one, I guess, to explain for, you, for the viewers is called a forward contract. Uh, basically, what that is, is you're able to lock in essentially the rates today between two currencies for use in the future. So it could be very useful. You know, if, if you if you believe that you know, currency is, is going to strengthen, you you know from the rate today, you may just you buy a forward or you know an invoice that you have to pay somewhere down the line, six months, nine months, whatever it is. And uh, so that that's, that's you know a bit about what our business is about. No, and I think I think for our leaders, um, you know, it's one of those things where you know what business do you want to be in. You know, Matt gave the example of this clothing business. Well, 
I really want to be in the clothing business. So if I was in the clothing business and I want my profits to come as a result of running my clothing business well, not because of huge swings in the dollar or the or the euro. Yeah. And so 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 Matt's company basically helps again hedge that so that you know my business will be successful on the basis of its business and not these macroeconomic changes in the marketplace. So that's and that's really valuable. Um and like you said, I, I could imagine maybe companies more who choose a spot rate maybe have more technical or advanced finance skills or or also more money on hand <laughs> i imagine you know um, I mean, yeah it'll, it'll it'll depend on the industry i mean there are some that have very thin margins that you know really need to guarantee a particular rate and oftentimes it's more about having peace of mind that yes you know i know i have to buy a million euros in six months the rate of the euro today might be 160 against Canadian, which is kind of high. Right. But I'm willing to just lock it in so that I know that's my cost. And I, you know, I can't, you know, if you're selling to, you know, a big brand like Best Buy, let's say, or Walmart, you cannot change your price. Yes. Um, and, and so, it, it, but it will depend, I suppose, a bit on the, the, the industry, the business model of the customer, you know, exactly what their needs are. We do have, you know, many different kinds of Exactly. And you're working with clients to, to determine. So why don't you walk through just the different roles that you've had? Obviously, they attracted you. They identified you on LinkedIn. That's one of the things that we, uh, we've really um, recognized for our operators is a really great business opportunity for them, building their brand over, over time. And, and that, when, when you were an operator, it wasn't a strategy of ours, but it has become you know helping our operators build their brands so that they get these types of reach out, reach outs from amazing companies like you did. But why don't you walk us through the steps that you've taken along your career path so far? Yeah. So I, I guess I could start a little bit around the, the interview process at Cambridge. So they, you know, um, the talent agency knew quite a bit about student work right. and you know, the people that participate in that. Cambridge didn't know uh, so much. So when I was doing the, the interview process there, I remember my my manager who did the final interview while well, I still work with today uh, was very interested in you know like how how many like once I described sort of what it was or we were going door to door I was you know then calling back to the rest and so I explained a bit about the process of student works and I had that sales experience and she was very interested asking okay well how many how many phone calls would you do like when you set up your your estimates on Sunday evening let's say each week and right I, you know I would have been like I said like. 30 phone calls and she's like wow that's you know that's what you know someone might do in a day here in you know this this role outbound you know phone calls to set up appointments to source to a business right um, so it's sort of like like going back to i guess what i said before i got that flight simulator yeah. analogy yeah you know you're, you're doing so much as student works that when you get out into the real world it's sort of you know a bit you know e easier or a bit a bit simpler to to take on some of the, you know, the the tasks that are thrown at you. So very interested in student works. But I started off in 2016 as, as a business developer in a sort of entry-level sales associate role. Right. What I was doing was making outbound calls to mostly small, medium, and sometimes larger enterprises, mostly in Ontario, Quebec, but oftentimes throughout all of North America, including Western Canada. And uh, the United States, um, working with uh, other other team members that were more senior. Once there was interest to you know, either do a, you know a telephone conference call with this new prospective client and get them to open an account, or depending on their needs, even meeting them in person to you know, do formal presentations, learn a bit more about their business, and then you know sell them on our services, Cambridge's right. service from you know the international payments, the technology. Um, and the foreign exchange capability. Um, after a year, um, I was promoted to a bit of a more senior role doing trading dealing. So um, working with other senior, more senior team members uh, in you know, similar ways to set up uh, and source new you know, appointments for new business and working with you know, other you know, entry-level sales people as I was when I started on you know, appointments that they had set up. Right. And at the same time, also managing existing customer accounts and uh, you know giving more 
granular advice based on you know, this the specific needs of, of a business and about the client that we were dealing with that I was managing. Along the way, I also got to participate in the market analysis um, reports that we write. So just, just because you know we're we're a foreign exchange company, it's, it's you know under the umbrella of financial markets, we have to provide our, our expertise, our product is foreign exchange. So we sort of have to you know, be, be swimming in you know, market news and the literature, right. what's going on in, in, in financial markets and the parts that interest with foreign exchange. So what, what I was doing in, in addition to the sort of outbound sales part and managing customer accounts uh, is wedding grading, a, a weekly report every, uh, every Thursday morning about the, the current developments in financial markets. There might be anything from, you know, retail sales or GDP figures in Canada and how it's moving, you know, big various exchange rates, Canadian euro, Canadian pounds, Canadian US dollar, um, just to, I guess we do it to keep our clients informed and you know, we, we know the product that we're selling, which is foreign exchange. And uh, yeah, so I, uh, that's sort of, and I'm sort of in a, in, still in a, in, a, in a similar role to this day, although part of a, a new team, um, at our company that uh, uh, arose a few years ago. So still there's that dealing trading role with uh, in a more direct team setting now. Right. But that's a, I know, I know we spoke about that earlier. It, it seems like a great practice to go and, and be able to share what you're learning with others. And then obviously get feedback from, you know, the partners, the senior people to make sure, okay, yes, this is what we're seeing. You know um, it seems like a really, really, awesome opportunity uh you know just in a in a learning and a growth and also you know setting uh building your brand w- within within your business as well doing that type of a role yeah i mean um in in our business i mean you everyone um, has you know, your your the clients you deal with are essentially like your your book of business so it's you know about um you know keeping them happy right um can might not be all in in one shot, like at Student Works, where you go in and, and paint there, you know, paint a house, paint a deck, and then it's done. You know, these these businesses that we deal with, you know, they generally have, have longer, long lifespans, if yes. you will. Yes. They, they plan they plan to be around for decades. Oftentimes, they're you know, family run businesses, and uh, you know, you're dealing with the entire family. You're dealing with you know. Businesses that you know, it's an ongoing relationship where you know you might be talking to them week to week, month to month, yeah. even day to day, and uh, so it's an ongoing process of you know really demonstrating our, our knowledge of the product, which is foreign exchange, what's going on in the markets, and then you know selling them our services. When you're managing you know the accounts, it, it, the client still has to you know use our services on an ongoing basis in order for us to you know make the, the relationship profitable from our point of view as we help, you know, service the customer. So it's, it's an ongoing. Absolutely. Product. And again, very exciting. You know, this is, you know, sort of the, uh, a really awesome type of business where you're, you know, you're holding on to your clients for longer and longer. That's a wonderful, you know, wonderful, uh, valuable business. And so one of the things I wanted to jump to was, was education. So while you've been doing this and, and providing more and more value and growing at Cambridge, you've also been completing your CFA. So maybe you can tell us about that and how many hours a week was that? I, I know you're, you're, you know, for that. Yeah. So when I started at Cambridge, I, I was encouraged to can continue education in, in any way possible. Um, a lot of people in our industry do um, uh, these licensing courses. Um, at the Canadian Securities Institute, which is like the um, kind of the regulator um, industry education um, body right. for um, you know being licensed to sell certain products like mutual funds, options, futures. So I, I started doing that. I didn't come from a finance background, so that was a great way to sort of you know learn about some of the academic background to finance after you know doing poli sci, doing it, yeah, yeah, and. And and just to complement sort of what what I was doing, you know, day to day, the kind of products I was selling in the you know, sort of world I was swimming in. Right. If you um, after you know completing a bunch of those, you know, 
the next step for me seemed to do CFA, and to be CFA rather. And so I started in, uh, I started studying in 2017. I did level one, level two in 2018, 2019. And then obviously, you know, scheduled to write to level three in June, 2020, which was a bit awkward um, during a bit of an awkward time. Right. So with COVID hitting, that was delayed um, to December, delayed again until this past May. So two months ago, actually, finally got to write it. So, you know, still waiting for the, the test results. But, um, you know, it's a CFA, the self-study program. So you, I had my work, you know, during the day. CFA could only be something that took place early in the morning, which it often did. Right. In the evenings, on days off, on the weekends. And, you know, it, it was kind of, you know, required an incredible amount of time management. Yes. Just as doing student works or doing, you know, participating in my student association, you know. And you know, once again, you know, you come back to you know, big takeaways from student works, which is structuring your schedule in such a way so that you maximize your time, realizing that you know the exam is in six months, and that it, it could seem it could seem easy that it's six months, like you have plenty of time, but you've got to get through you know three thousand five hundred plus pages of sometimes very wow. dry literature at each level, so time, times three. Um, and it really starts with, you know, putting down goals on paper, writing it down, what you want to accomplish today, this week, this month, how much you're going to get done. And I would say, you know, in terms of the difficulty of managing, managing my time with work and that, I'd say it was, you know, maybe comparable to student work. You know, there, you, you have to learn to say no to a lot of things yes. when you're that's efficient, that, um, that discipline in your time management. And, you know, I, I had to say no to a, a lot of things that uh, not, I would have liked to yes to, you know, events with family, friends, and co- colleagues as well. Right. Um, but you keep that end goal in mind. And, you know, that was passing these, these set of three exams. So sort of you know, using this, this, this skills from student works of time management and the goal setting was really helpful while doing that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I passed the first two, I hope, you know, waiting for the results on the last one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, well, no, that's, that's awesome. And, and so now you've decided to do, you know, go, go to, uh, studying finance at the London school of business and your master's, um, you know, doing it part-time. So why don't you describe that and what you hope to be uh, getting out of that, uh, over the next couple of years. So, with regard to, to London Business School, so there's a couple of reasons that I wanted to that I want to go there. Um, having done you know financial designations like studying for CFA, um, it's a although it's it's valuable to have it's great it's great learning about right the technical things in the industry. You're doing it all on your own, and I wanted a more collaborative learning environment. You know, as, as the next step for me. In, in addition, going to a school like London Business School, there's a lot of people. It's a very international school. There are a lot of people from all over the world. Uh, it's only 5 to 10% of the student body is actually from Britain. The other, you know, 90 to 95 is from other countries throughout the world. Wow. From, you know, South Korea, Peru, Brazil, Argentina, all over Africa and Europe. So really having the opportunity to, to meet and interact with intelligent people from all over the world who you know share an interest in, in finance and business as I do now. Right. And really, you know, sharpening my perspective on issues that I'm thinking about that they may be thinking about in, in finance right now. And uh, you know, just you know, I challenge, you know, I um well, I was coming to the end of this, you know, BFA goal, if you will. Yeah. And looking for Challenge, and, you know, having CFA is great, but I'm, you know, uh, I wanted to, you know, to keep going with that momentum by my side, and this, this is the next. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. So, um, what, what, what we've been talking about lots of wins, uh, which is what we do, and that's why people get onto the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. But what about failures or mistakes, and how did you learn from those, Matt? I'd say 
going back to two that come to mind, going back to uh, student works. Um, in my first year, I don't know if you remember, Chris, I, I was quite good at getting leads from cold calling, from canvassing, but yes. not, as, not as great at getting estimates or booking work. So in my in my first year, I you know I think I was average or above average in terms of final revenue year end. And for me, going into the second year, that was something that I wanted to correct. Um, you know, turning a large number of leads from door to door, not door to door sales, into estimates and then into work you know, to, to get to that that hundred k that hundred k mark there as I wanted to, and. So I, I, I sat down with my VM in my second year and you know, we came up with a plan that, that Excel spreadsheet we discussed earlier where we you know took 100k as the endpoint in sales and worked backwards. you know what does your booking percentage have to be? What, how many estimates do you have to do? What's your average job size? How much are you producing from May, May through the end of August to get there and, and it all kind of came down to um, a, a gap between um, getting the leads and converting them to the estimates. Right. So that was where I focused a lot of my attention in my uh, my veteran year. And I, I, I think that I corrected that quite well. Yeah. Fantastic. I was able to double the size of my business from, from first to second. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying fantastic. And sort of taking that, that miss, that okay, here's the focus. This is what I can focus on. Here's some strategies we can use to focus on it and move forward and, and, and get the success you're looking for. Yeah. And I think it also leads into the, the second sort of failure or challenge I had in, in year two, which, you know, having so much growth in top line uh, sales, then my business overall wasn't as profitable as I feel some of the other similarly sized ones were. Okay. And I was often scrambling to, you know, just have someone paint a house, even though they, you know, they didn't go through the proper due diligence and interview process that I did in my first year. I had great staff in my first year, although the business was smaller, mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, the growth from uh, year one to year two. Although I, you know, I corrected that first mistake and the revenue went up, but it's a great thing. I, I was, I was sort of stretched kind of thin. It was, you know, from a Production point of view, it became a challenge to to produce all that work in a profitable way. Right. I was I was as I said I was always sort of scrambling to get you know sometimes friends to help out here and there. Yeah. Which is always, it's never a good idea. Yeah. As, as I learned, and uh, I think just because I, I booked all this work quicker than I expected, and mm. that would have been something that I would have probably tackled had I come back for a for, third, for third year. You know, perfecting the you know production in, in the summer. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things my experience has always been, you know, is, is that, you know, seeking mastery, there's always another level. There's always another level, you know, that, you know, and I, I managed for three summers myself. And, and again, each, each year there was a different focus and a different improvement. And I'm, and knowing now what I, we know now in the business, you know, I, I, I could see so many improvements, like, you know, just because we continue to improve the, the models and the systems and the way that we're operating. And then, and then, then obviously each operator looking at them, how do they get better? But talking about change, you know, as you went from that university student to now a, a full-time value creator in the, in the world, what did you have to change about yourself, Matt? Well, I mean, I, I think this, this experience with student works was a big life-changing experience, if you will. You know, you look at so many things in the world differently um, after going through that program. So I, I thought of the, the change that I had, you know, starting out as a university student, going through the program and starting out as a, a professional working in the world. A lot of the, the skills that I, that I rely on on a regular basis come from student works. I mean, we, we've already touched on like some of the bigger ones, the time management, the scheduling week to week, month to month, day to day, and the goal had the importance of goal setting. Um, but I also think like some of the, the simpler ones are, the, the, I think it's the four referability habits. Yes, you bet. I was only able to recall three of them, you know, preparing for the podcast. So, and there's they're simple things that anyone can do. So, think please and thank you, showing up on time, doing what you say. 
finishing what you start. Finishing what and finish what you start. Yeah. yeah. So we those um, although they're you know, just four simple phrases are incredibly important. Um, that, you know, the transferable skills that you can do even if you don't have an an MBA or you you don't have your degree yet or you're not you know uh, perfect at, at sales. It's just it's something that anyone can do to get a head start on the people that aren't doing that. Absolutely. I, I, I love, I love those habits. I've been, I guess, training them and working with them for, for decades now, and they just become more and more important to me all the time. You know, just the focus of, of, of integrity, you know, just keeping our promises, you know, in all the ways that we keep our promises, you know, it's just, it, and you know, it really, really massively sets you apart because most people don't sadly, or most people keep their promises at a less rate than then, you know, just the, the, you know, the, the people who are really executing in the real world, they, they, they keep more, a higher and higher share of their promises. So uh, what key habits, Matt, would, would someone want to, want to steal from you? I, I would focus on you know, a lot of the things you discussed already. So that the time management goal setting, I, I think it, it's especially the case with uh, someone that's interested in being an entrepreneur, but even someone like myself that went through the program and just, you know, wanted to gain transferable skills in a general sense. I think you have to be prepared to fail when you're coming out of you know, when you're, you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, because you know no one succeeds right away. Yeah. Um, I know. I know. A few times on this podcast, you talked about them, the, the the Thomas Edison quote. I think with the light bulb. Yes. Where he, yeah. I figured out 200 ways uh, not to, to succeed yeah. instead of you know, 200 ways to, to, to fail. That's another one that I uh, like to quote by um, Rene Descartes. It's, uh, you know, you have to just keep pushing, just keep pushing. I made every mistake that could be made, but just keep pushing. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's, it's a constant process. You know, success is not an, an end point. It's, it's a journey. Um, it's a, it's a constant process. I love that, Matt. You know, and I know, you know, Brian Scudamore, who was on, uh, you know, he, he wrote a book called Willing to Fail, you know, and I think that's what, that's what leaders need to understand and not take it so personally and just understand that that's part of the process. Like it's yeah. just, you know, it's, uh, we fail all the time and then, you know, we, we, okay, how can we set up structures so that we're not going to do that as regularly? How can we make improvements so that, you know, our rate of success goes up? So, uh, so and just see that as a, as a, as a, a part of, part of being a leader. So I'll, I'll, I'll and I'll, I'll give you just, just as it concerns failure uh, in anticipation of success, there are two con- uh, contrasting examples. So there was a time, I think in my veteran year when I was cold calling just on my own. And, you know, it was, it was a day where I had gotten a lot of, uh, rejected, a lot of no's yeah. door to door in, in Montreal. And uh, it was kind of, it was this street was like a, a crescent, and at the end of the crescent there was like a bunch of kids, or maybe they were older, yeah. sort of hanging around, and they they were watching me going door to door and like seeing people, you know, just you know, like buzz off, yeah, <laughs> shutting the door in my face. And uh, I came like to the house right across the street from them, and I could hear them giggling, and uh, like oh, now they, they, I thought they're gonna they're gonna see me like get another like rejection from the guy. <laughs> And uh, as it turns out, you know, same process as the, the nose that were, you know, just a couple uh, feet away. The other people projections, I just did the same, you know, stuck to the system of student works, introduced myself politely to the man who answered the door. Yeah. And he was, you know, super excited that, yes, I have, you know, I want to paint this garage, the porch you're standing on and the deck in the back. Right. He got, he got right out. It was not, not the warmest day. Yeah. Um, but he just got out and said, let's take a look right now. And, uh, you know, maybe you can price it right now. And, uh, as he got out and I turned back to the kids and they were, they had left. It was, it was no longer entertaining. So just having like the ability to, you know, go from all, all you're going to get re- re- rejected. You're going to fail. Um, whether it's cold calling or, you know, studying for a test you might, you might fail once and, you know, succeed. The second or the third time, right? Get a bunch of you know twenty customers hang up the phone on you or slam the door in your face, depending on what you're doing. Right. 
Um, but you're just that much closer to the next yes because they are out there. Yeah. Another another example. Um, I, I was at my mother. This is the opposite of what I just said. So I was at my mother's house, just um, putting. I think it was putting together some furniture. And a door door salesperson came and knocked on the door, and uh, you know, me, I, I was busy. I just politely answered and said, "Quick, who are you? What can I? How can I help you?" And she started, you know, trying to sell something. And I just said, "I'm sorry, I'm not interested. I'm like I was in the middle of." building this piece of furniture for my mother. Right. And I closed the door on her. And then she kept knocking. You know, and I ignored it at first. And after, you know, 15, 20 minutes, she's still knocking and ringing the doorbell. And uh, so I like finally went back out and said, like, is something wrong? Like, I thought I said I was not interested. Right. She, she had been waiting there, knocking frantically for you know, 15, 20 minutes just to tell me that I was rude for shutting the door in her face. She was doing her sales pitch. <laughs> so that it's sort of the, the opposite of what not to do, if you will. So just yes. going back to the, 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 initial, um, the initial discussion, you have to like, be expecting that that's going to happen. You know, I'm generally a polite person and I didn't mean to offend this lady, yeah. but it's just, you know, I was that no that she had to deal with in the same way that I had to deal with that, you know, world 20 or so no's when I was doing a similar job to get to that. Yes. That was going to be, you know, worth my time that day. If you will. That 100%. Makes sense. 100%. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, so Matt, final question, um, you know, and thank you so much for making time and, you know, linking in from, uh, from Europe for this podcast. When you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? So I think there's a couple things that come to mind for me that might be a little bit different than what you talk about during the show. So being someone that works in you know, the, the world of finance, I think that sustainability is very important. So, you know, it's a lot of people in business and sales, you know, like to eat what they kill, yeah. if you will, yeah. results economy kind of thing, you know, you make a sale, you get paid. You produce a job, you get paid. And so the, the traditional view is that a, a business should be concerned about its owners, the profitability of the company. But there, there's a lot of discussion in recent years about other things that intersect with business, place in society, other stakeholders, other people that are affected by the business and its actions besides just the owners, the shareholders that are seeking profits. Yes. You know, so keeping, you know, obviously the customers and the owners happy, but the staff as well. The, um, you know, this, the community that it operates. So like, for example, the, the MS um, Multiple Sclerosis Society um, yeah. initiative that I think Student Works, um, they, they, you guys did it when we're I was just, and we're, like we're about to reach $2 million. So yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So you know, Having an awareness of some of the other stakeholders that are involved in a, in a business, um, sustainability, I think is very, is, is very important. One thing that I learned in my second year is you, know, you, you have to also be able, you have to find people that share your vision as, as the leader, you know, the owner operator, mm. or the president, CEO, the senior partner of a firm. And you have to find people that you know, fit in with the culture of your operation right. and share your vision. And an example to sort of touch on that is um, in my second year, there was a job that was actually a referral from an existing customer. And you know, I, I had, a, as I said before, it's not a good idea to get your friends to paint. And this was one of those jobs where I did get a friend to paint and the job didn't go exactly as planned. Luckily the owner was, you know, we fixed everything up and the owner was you know, quite happy, but said, you know, I, I, I don't doubt that you, Matthew, would, you know, you'll be successful in what you do. But you have to also recognize that if you don't have the right people working with you or uh, reporting to you in whatever role you take up, you know, it's going to go like this job. Did. And you're lucky that I'm, you know, kind enough to tell you this instead of, you know, do other things with. You know, like lawyers' letters, yeah. or take some other actions against you. 
Um, but I, I found that was that was very powerful. Um, it, it sort of stuck with me to this day. You have to hire people that sort of share your vision or as committed to it or almost as committed to it as you, instead of someone that's just there to you know, pick up a paycheck, you know, clock in and clock out. I love I love how you see leadership. I can't agree more. You know, one other stakeholder we just need to be so aware of is environment, right? You know, so and the environment. You know, and again, I I think I always like to focus on the progress rather than perfection or rather than, oh, what's missing all the time. Just, you know, we've made an enormous amount of progress. And I I think the world was shifted very, very much too much for just the monetary gains. And certainly, obviously, there's, you know, you're in the finance world. You see that, I know. And, you know, more and more people, I think, are seeing that broader context, you know, and, and, and hopefully, again, that message is going to continue to grow and our, our world will do better for it, for sure. Exactly. But, but Matt, thanks again. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I know we had some little technical difficulties, so I jumped up back to video to sort of say thank you um, and uh, continued success. And I can't wait to hear about the big pass on the CFA 3 exam. So, uh, <laughs> so, so well done. Awesome. Been a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. Hey, have a great evening. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.